0: (laughs) we do have video of me singing along gets a small world lip syncing um as we're going through the ride from last time we went so
1: oh that's
0: good uh yeah we'll see i the kids seem to be excited for the haunted mansion i've somehow talked it's my favorite Mine too i think i've talked them into this I also think I might have installed for them a nostalgia for Mr. Toad's wild ride, even though they are
1: i love it too. physically
0: unable to have ever been able to have ridden upon it.
1: Of course. I still yes. think
0: they're going to be like, man, Mr. Toad's wild. That was a ride. That was a show.
1: <laughs> yes. I love it. So that's amazing. Um, yeah. So, cause that was a oh my great God, one too. Then,
0: yeah. Um, So, yeah, we'll see how much we've traumatized them. Because last time
1: Uh
0: we were like, oh, there's no line for Pirates of the Caribbean. We should go do this. And literally as they are lowering the bar or we're getting onto the raft or whatever, it like hits me. of, Oh, "Oh, man, there's that drop. Oh, yeah. 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 That didn't go over great. (laughs) No. (laughs) No,
1: I would imagine probably not.
0: Yeah, we're going to be paying for that. Quite literally yeah. um, uh-huh. at
1: some point. Oh, yeah. That's coming out in yeah. therapy for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, guys, it's, it's fun. It's you wacky. Years.
1: It's so yeah. great. But yet the Haunted Mansion is like, that's what's so great about it is it's not scary. It's just fabulous. This is
0: what we've been telling them. I think we've got them excited enough with the idea of like, it's fun. It's goofy. And I think they're.
1: It's so fun. And the music's awesome. Oh, and like everything about it and all the tombstones are stupid shit we'd say on this show i mean it's perfect i I picked up a guy there in high school and asked him if i could be the 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 ghost you know how they're always like we're looking for one more soul and i was like i'll be the soul his name was ray-ban my friend rachel and i picked him up
0: was he working at disney world
1: yeah we were 16 he was probably and so
0: what did ray-ban say when you offered him your soul
1: (laughs) I i think he just said we were cute probably invite us to meet him later in some deep dark corner but we had to go home mm, with my parents of, uh... <laughs> but his name was ray-ban that's yeah, amazing
0: like uh, meet you at <laughs> tom Sawyer island
1: right meet you in the swiss family robinson treehouse <laughs> <laughs> come on oh. now. i miss the tiki room like in its finest oh it's
0: glory. it's there
1: no but now it's got yeah no, there's a fire and...
0: I know. Oh. I only know this because I read about this last night. There was a fire, uh, and apparently Disney was like, "All right, screw it, get Gilbert Gottfried out of there." Um, and they yeah. reverted to the original. Yes, Pir- Pirates Amazing. of the Caribbean. You still have to go by Johnny Depp at the end. I know. So um,
1: that's okay. Yeah,
0: it's a, it's changed a lot in the ensuing twenty five ensuing years that I had lasted been there. But Carousel of progress is going strong. That's all I know. That's all that's all I need to know.
1: Feel, you can feel safe in that. That was knowledge. the one I talked
0: to for the kids, and they spent the entire thing just staring at me like, what the hell are you? <laughs> and I'm like, come on, it's a great big beautiful tomorrow. <laughs> Shut amazing. up and sing. Um
1: Yeah. <laughs> You're so going to a pirate lunch and a princess lunch with all the elaborate. Oh costumes. no, my daughter,
0: she will she will stab a princess. Mm-hmm. Um I love She does not care.
1: That makes it even no, better. No, right now
0: her heart is full of, for a long time her heart was, um, Batman was in her heart.
1: Well, yeah.
0: he should be. Uh, he should be in everyone's. Now it's dragons and dinosaurs. So yes, that's awesome. Um, she had a, a Ninja Turtle themed party for her birthday. Yes,
1: I know. I and did love it, that. In
0: two years time, she's planning a Black Panther party.
1: Yes, I love yeah, this party. So
0: I'm hoping to go as Angela Davis. And it'll be It'll be
1: perfect. I think this is a fabulous plan. I hope. I like all of these (laughs) theme parties. I think they're wonderful. She loves a good theme. I know. It's fabulous. So. Yeah, no. She doesn't need the stupid prince. But I kind of want her to go to a princess party just to kick somebody's ass. This is why, with your hosts... Heidi Headquist
2: and Luke Poling
0: You met I was going to say became friends sounds like um, with yeah. the man named Franklin
2: put, I always put friends in quotation marks because <laughs> <Sure>. yeah, fair <laughs> enough <laughs> enemies but acting like friends
0: how did your pants cross?
2: well if you read my book My Dance with the Zodiac Killer you haven't read it yet right?
0: we have not yet no
2: not yet yeah. we've watched That's, your videos okay good that's the first chapter in my book is how I met this guy. And this is an amazing story in that it really kind of pushed you outside of yourself because I start out. It's the, chapter one is my first trip to Mexico City. Our first meetings and stories about childhood abuse, because that's some of the things he talked about when we first met. I'm walking down the street. And this guy comes up behind me. Hey, gringo, where are you going? And. From, uh, you know, I turn around thinking I was going to have to fight. I was a wrestler in school. Fighting was a lot of fun for me back then. And, uh, you know, the guy runs up to me, puts his hand on my shoulder. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And he starts talking. He said, I figure you probably want to hear somebody speaking English because nobody around here speaks English. And imagine being in a foreign country in a language that you don't speak, but you're learning, and someone walks up to you speaking English. Right. right. That's what that's what the chapter is about. And I start telling you about Frank Morris, and the thing that puts me outside of myself at that particular point in time is I didn't know who I was talking to, and he wouldn't tell me his name. This is all in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, So all my life, I have this mysterious friend in Mexico City who says really weird and mysterious things that don't make a lot of sense, but for some reason, every one of them is in my memory banks because of how bizarre he acted, I think. And when I first started writing this book, it was about... D.B. Cooper mm-hmm. and okay. you're, you're all familiar with America's Unsolved Hijacking and yes. $200,000 ransom and all that and Frank showed me the, uh, the comic book where he got the name Dan Cooper from now imagine you're writing this book about D.B. Cooper because this is the only thing I could remember about this guy and uh, I'm telling this story about d.b cooper and i'm thinking gee what year was it that that i he told me you know a certain thing and i would think was it 69 70 or 71 and i would go research it now researching would bring up links and connections and other things which i would find myself daily going oh wow that's what he meant And to make a long story short, I found a link that said the um, D.B. Cooper hijacking had some similarities to things that were done by a killer who wore a mask, a, a serial killer who wore a mask. And interestingly enough, three days in a row researching, I kept coming back to that same link, that mask was a blue link. Mm-hmm. And I finally said, I'm just going to click on this thing because, you know, I'm, all these things are in my mind. And some pieces to puzzles and things that he said to me over the years are coming back. And I'm trying to make sense out of them. And when I hit the link, there's a picture of the, the typical picture of the Zodiac Killer with the suit that he wore at Lake Berryessa. Under, but he's underneath a a street light and wearing his mask and the little Zodiac Killer symbol on the chest. And just imagine you're this is oh, happening to you and you're going that's the mask and the suit that he wore that day he tried to get me to come on to his patio which had a locking wow. steel door oh gosh <laughs> and, wow and he's and he's saying come in here wow. and i'm like i ain't coming in there take the mask off what are you <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah Like okay. no. I'll catch you later. I may
2: only be seventeen years old, and I may be dumb as heck, but I tell you what—I know how to fight. And I'm, you know, you're going to take off the mask before I hit you, okay? Because I don't—you might have a steel mask under it. I'm just—I'm just joking. But when I'm looking at him through this patio, because he's in a room on the other side of the patio, the Anglin brothers close in on me from both sides and try to shove me on into the patio. And I was a wrestler in high school at the time. I was in very good shape. I had very fast reflexes, and I had really good vision when I was younger. I was really lucky and very good peripheral vision. I could actually look forward to see both of them coming from each side. I ducked, stepped out onto the street and be to be as cute as I could be. I waved at Frank and said, Goodbye, I'll see you later, and I took off running. <laughs> and this is what happened throughout my life with these guys, and I'm thinking, you know, I didn't know how close I came to being murdered by the Zodiac killer, and there's three of them.
0: Yeah,
2: you know what I mean. When I look back on that, the day that I clicked that link and I saw that mask, I almost had a heart attack. Oh. I had to grab my heart. I'm going, oh my god! Friend, this guy and my friend in in Mexico was the Zodiac killer, and DB Cooper. And from then on, it was just a thing of it, it snowballed. Everything started coming back to me. Then. I remember something from childhood that uh, related to this whole thing and I'm like, wow. Could that be nah, nah. And I go on with my writing my book, you know, and I keep coming back to this one event and all every time I come back to it um, more things uh, uh, more memories come back about it until I piece the whole thing together and, you know, I did a video on this too. It's about neuroplastic regeneration. You're your brain has everything in it that's happened to you throughout your life, but the connections to it are shut off. It's like you have a hard drive in there
1: mm-hmm. sure. and the mem-
2: memories in there, but you don't have any connections going to it and until you start focusing on it. And then the brain rebuilds the connections. So more and more things came back to me, more and more things came back to me. And before I know it, I start realizing, you know, I met this guy when I was five years old and they tied me to a post and tried to cut my throat. I don't know how I lived through all the things I lived through. I mean, imagine being five years old and being tied to a post and three grown men pull out a knife and put it to your throat and tell you they're gonna cut you in little effing pieces.
0: Yeah. And Um, so you did not connect that these... So actually, for people I did not
2: connect that it was the same person until a year or two after I wrote my book somewhere at the end of the book and after the book I started kind of connecting Mm -hmm. and I think uh, let me just look quickly at the book and see if there's not a chapter in here about that
0: and what you're doing that just so people can kind of keep some of the names straight and everything frankly Morris, John Anglin and Clarence Anglin were the three escapees from Alcatraz in 1962 made a raft out of Various things they were able to assemble in the prison, snuck out in the middle of the night with the plaster heads. And if you actually go on the tour, it's still there, which, you know, with your story of saying, well, they escaped and they were out there doing things, it kind of makes the tour a little not as true as perhaps you might want it to
2: be. Yeah, Yeah. I wanted to take the tour myself to see how it relates, but I figure they'll probably kick me off in the water somewhere because I'll open <laughs> my big mouth and tell the truth and they're not huh? going to like that. <laughs> but there's a chapter in my book uh, on uh, the escape from Alcatraz. I'm looking at the the table of contents here. and Here it is. It's chapter three, starts on page 52. Frank told me all about the escape. Now, You have to remember that Frank didn't say, hey, I'm Frank Lee Morris. We escaped from Alcatraz and we're the Zodiac Killer. We go around murdering people for fun. Right. Everything came to me from him in volleys of clues and riddles. Like, you know, he would tell me that I shouldn't be walking around there on the street. Frank had a little bit of a New York accent. The Zodiac Killer, they say he had a cadence to his voice but no accent. But I say the people that say that weren't experts in, in in accents and, and I for some reason uh, you know when I hear an accent and I know where it's from it stays with me and he had a very mild New York accent and he said he's telling me you, you shouldn't be walking around here on the street this is all in my book somebody's gonna shoot you and this kind of thing a lot of you know murder and killing things always came out of him. that's all he thought about and he pointed across the street and there's a couple of guys standing there leaning on a post smoking cigarettes. And he goes, you never know what somebody around here is going to do to you. And he's kind of waving his hand towards those guys. You know, and I kept wondering why he kept waving towards those guys. Well, you know, and in, in, over the years of writing the book, I start re- looking at pictures of Frank and, and the Anglin brothers over and over and over. And I'm like, how was John and Clarence Anglin that were standing over there uh, on the uh, by that post? Because after a while... He said something, made a motion, and they went away. He mm-hmm. motioned to them. They had a set of hand signals. They were these guys were so effective at making people disappear without a trace. They killed I I estimate at least twenty five thousand people, and wow. this this was a daily thing for them. It was a sexual turn on. I hate to say it, but they were mm-hmm. necrophiliacs, along with everything else. But so
1: how do you think they they managed to pull all of this off? And all of the, I mean, that's pretty, I mean, whether it's it's a you know, terrible things they were doing, but it's impre- impressive as an understatement that they Incredible. were able to do all of these things.
2: Yeah. And there what was do you two- think,
1: it, think it was about them
2: that well, gave them things. that ability? Three things. Number one was that set of hand signals that they probably developed in prison. So that one could be standing on one end of the prison yard. The other one could be standing on the other, you know, with a triangulation thing, triangulation type thing. Mm -hmm. And and they're talking to each other with their hands as if they had cell phones in a time when there were no cell phones. And again, this is in my book, too. And so these guys have cell phones and you're trying to. You know, either stay alive or approach them, and they're telling each other what's going on. Look who's coming, and these hand signals could be things like a lot of it had to do with his cigarette. Throw the ash that way; it means something. Click it twice; it means something. I don't know. They never told me their hand signals, but I recall him making signals and these guys moving around and trying to uh, get into position for certain things. That was number one. Number two was a well, probably number one was the fact that. Uh, Frank Morris had a genius IQ, 133 in the top 2% of the population. So he was able to think these things out. Another thing that helped him was, and this is in my videos on the FBI files on the the Alcatraz escapees, he was a very methodical planner. Frank would plan something for as long as it took to get it right. He told me that he planned the D.B. Cooper hijacking for one year before he did it. He told me about it a year before he did it. I stayed confused for a long time, and I wrote some of that confusion in my book because I was trying to tell my story about him telling me about the hijacking when parts of the story he told me before he ever did it. Then after he did it, he told me the rest of the story, and I, I'm not sure exactly how all that mixed together, but anyway, the, the being able to communicate with these hand signals, having a genius IQ, being a methodical planner, and the... Bad luck for the world that three personalities would come together like that. Him, John Anglin, who would do anything that he Frank told him to, and John was a big, strong guy, and he liked to fight. And then Clarence was a little bit smaller, but still stocky, and also was didn't like to fight, but he 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 would when you know when he knew he was going to win, and he was they had somebody outnumbered, and he was a runner. So you had this combination of a fighter, a runner, and a brain that's running the whole thing and a whole set of hand signals that, you know, they could be, uh, they could grab a victim and still be giving each other hand signals on what to do next.
0: Right. Right. So do you think that's part of the reason, just to focus for the moment on just the Zodiac killers? Okay. um, Is that part of it actually, in just the way I asked it, killers, plural, That there was three. There was not just the one that everybody thinks.
2: Exactly. And at times there were four or five because Frank would recruit people, which is how so many people, all the pet suspects that you see people on the YouTube telling you that, you know, like Arthur Lee Allen was the Zodiac Killer. Mm -hmm. And there's a chapter in my book on that. And, you know, Larry Kane was the Zodiac Killer and all these different people. The ones that have criminal backgrounds were friends of Frank's. He made friends with these guys because these guys congregated together somewhere, I guess, in in San Francisco or something. Right. And he would set these things up and he'd take them with him. I have a whole chapter on how he got Arthur Lee Allen involved in that um, murder at uh, at Lake Berryessa.
0: Mm-hmm. So the reason and, all these people never kind of cracked and never ratted out everybody else, for lack of a better term, was that sort of. Criminal, Yeah. Al-Merta type.
2: They were You're not involved, supposed to be around, And to keep anything from going outside of their little community, Frank would involve them in such a way as where, whereas they would get blamed for it and become a suspect and mm-hmm. they the law enforcement would be so busy chasing them that Frank would be off somewhere else, killing somebody else and keeping it quiet. He only publicized the ones that he wanted to. Mm-hmm. He planned, planned that in advance, too. Now, and what I'm telling you about the things that he did and everything, I don't want you to think that he told me, you know, Dave, we never publicize. We only publicize the ones we want to. Right. The, these are all pieces of the puzzle that I've put sure. together based on what all the studying that I've done with these guys and the fact that I knew them. It was really a big, you know, the last five years or so of just putting the pieces of the puzzle together. you were so, saying with
0: the zodiac that they didn't publicize them there's always this debate because whoever was writing the letters was always giving a tally of zodiac this many killings the police zero and there's a debate when that particular killer started and it sounds like the they've sort of narrowed it down to robert domingos and linda edwards in 1963 Or David Faraday and Barry Lou Jensen. And I believe David Faraday was the one who gave the description of the hood and everything. As far as Uh, you know, have you been able to figure out if those are both Zodiac killings? or If there was one prior to that.
2: Frank told me about them. Frank told me about them. They're in my book. Mm -hmm. I have chapters on those of what Frank told me about it. Again, telling me in a way, like, um, I think Dominguez was the one that, that was Gaviota Beach, right? Yes. Yeah, and he, he said, you know, we, he was really angry because these two kids were out in front of his house uh, and even going inside of his house and doing things they shouldn't be doing. Uh, you know, Frank hated couples. Mm-hmm. It, something about men and women ha- having any kind of affectionate relationship would just make him go crazy. It had something to do with childhood where he got beaten up by his foster parents because he drew a picture of a teacher or he liked some girl and things didn't work out and it messed up his mind and I don't know, you know, I mean the guy's mind was messed up. But anyway, (laughs) the Dominguez thing and uh, the Gaviota Beach, my understanding, they came out of there, probably went back to Florida to visit the Anglin Brothers family because they were back and forth out of the Anglin Brothers family for years and years. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I think they went back to San Francisco. There was a lounge, and this is all in my book, there was a lounge, and I forget what part of, of California it's in, but it was called the Zodiac Lounge. I understand that it's still there. I My research when I was doing that, on
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, when I found it, but anyway, it's still there, and Frank was frequenting the lounge, and people were coming up missing after leaving the lounge and ah. he said that they didn't know what was frank told me as well they didn't know what was happening to these people and it's just a place i was hanging around and you know they started saying that this you know it was a zodiac type thing of these the police were and he you know in the process of saying all these things and not telling me straight out what i've now pieced together is that frank was um and the Anglin brothers were capturing people when they'd leave the lounge. That Those were their victims, and they'd take them and kill them, and the police would come to investigate. And they the police started, they started calling him the Zodiac Killer because it was the killer at the Zodiac Lounge. Right. Everybody on YouTube tells you that Frank named himself the Zodiac Killer, and it's not true. The police named him the Zodiac Killer. And then he just grabbed a hold of it because he knew he could put it in the media and and use it so that they would know that each killing he did was they wouldn't be looking at the wrong people. He wanted to make himself famous or infamous, depending on how how you look at it.
1: Why do you think they chose you or why do you think you've been sort of given this, I don't know, curse (laughs) for lack of a better term of being sort of... (laughs) The person to carry their secrets and eventually share their story.
2: And I have been asked this by many, many people, and it I'm all sure. boils, boils down to one simple thing: Why does a serial killer choose a certain person to be their victim? Right. The answer to that question is because they were there. Yeah. You know, they don't choose. They they choose. They walk out there and they're looking for a victim. Whoever's there, that's the one they're gonna they're gonna pick. But they pick people that, and especially these guys would pick children, I think, because they had, there's some kind of way they felt that they had this terrible childhood, so they're taking childhood away from other kids because they deserve it for what happened to them or something. I don't know what goes on a psychopath's mind, but I think that that, uh, they would pick uh, what they call strays, you know you may remember in one of the zodiac letters he said we're just going to be picking off strays well that's Mm -hmm. what they always do they look for kids who don't hang around with a group and then you know he would claim there years ago years before that he had told me that they were going to be his slaves in hell which is what the zodiac killer was known for
1: right
2: (laughs) and then at that time he'd say well i told you before what where we're taking them and he wouldn't he wouldn't go back and piece it together again because he wanted me to have all these pieces in my memory but those are the the things I hope to to accomplish with the book and I would really like the other thing I would really like to do is put a movie put some movies together about this Mm -hmm. again to show the truth but to give people a chance to live in the scenes that should have been terror to me because I nearly got killed, but were dramatic enough that they stayed in my memory and I escaped. Yeah, And that, I think, would make a wonderful movie because Frank Morris, that's all he did all his life was watch murder movies, and I think that's what he was doing with his murders. He would choreograph them because he told me at one time that he was a choreographer and he would choreograph the things where he would take people to be his slaves and um i think that he would spend a lot of time on the, that choreography which you know here is a genius who lives in murder this guy's not you know a producer or someone like that who makes films
0: this is his urge essentially.
2: yeah and i wow. if you, so you're gonna be when it's in the film by a, a good producer you're going to be looking at it from inside of the killer's brain
0: right?
2: When in, and from his eyes which is what I think people need to do so they, think they can get the idea of wow you know how dangerous these people are and when you start realizing it they're all around us some of them aren't killers but they're somewhat like that and they just don't go that far and it's all about anger hatred and anger
0: For more information or to watch any of David's videos, search David Gold on YouTube, or you can friend him on Facebook, where he is David Kucher, C-O-U-T-C-H-E-R. And David's book, My Dance with the Zodiac Killer, is available on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, and probably everywhere else online where you can find books.
1: For more Why content, including behind the scenes, additional photos and video, as well as outtakes, visit whythepodcast.com. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It'll help other folks find us and join our cult. The more cult members you bring in, the better your seat will be on the mothership. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on social, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even LinkedIn.
0: Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hedquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sove and Sandy Stone. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mustonen. Our intern is Randy Jeanette. Theme song was performed by the Electrosynthno Magnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home.
1: Nigel, is that you? Are you here, Nigel?